just encourage our lives. And, um, I was, um, as I've been thinking about this this morning, and then um, as our kids' uh, band played, um, and then I thought about, you know, God, you're the only one that truly can satisfy. And it's interesting, and I, you know, as we live in a day and age where people are looking for uh, satisfaction in so many different ways, uh, trying to find value if they do this or do, and they they do this, the accomplishment, and there's just there's just so much in front of us, and it's all just kind of about us. And so, as I've been thinking about this morning, and as we get into the book of Zephaniah, I've been thinking about Second Corinthians chapter five, and I'm not sure. That we're as a church, and I've used a blank statement, a church in America has done much thinking about 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Most of us are aware that we're only going to be on this earth a kind of a brief period of time. You think about time, 65, 75, 80 years, some less, some more. But that's, you know, pretty brief. I was thinking... You know, 70 years is kind of a long time, but, you know, the older you get, the less you think that 70 years is kind of a long time. And so as I think about that, I think about First or Second Corinthians chapter 5. Think about our body being a tent. You know, I understand that. You know, we got that concept. But then go down to verse 5. Now, it is God who has made us for this purpose. And given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. Faith in what? In the things that the world tells us? Faith that he alone is the one that can satisfy. Faith in knowing that we're going to follow the lies of this world, but that our Father's always going to be standing there saying, come home whenever you're ready. I'm here. Come home. We are confident, I say, and would and prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord in verse 9. So we make it a goal to please him. So we make it our goal to fit him into our lifestyle. So we make it our goal when it, it's okay with us and not okay with him, we do what's okay with us. So we make it our goal to please ourselves. So we make it our goal to be happy. So we make it our goal to buy into the lies of the world. So we make it our goal to please him. Whether at home in the body or away from him, why is that important? Verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. See, there's going to be a day, and as you go through um, Zephaniah, you're going to read the word uh, uh, multiple times, the day of the Lord, day of the Lord, day of the Lord, and and so it, this prophet is stepping into to Judah. You'll see that in verse 1. 
Okay? Why is that important to me? He's stepping into the church people's world. What Zephaniah is going to say is not to the unbelievers. Zephaniah is going to make a prophecy that has to do with the people who lived in Jerusalem. Why is that important? That's where the temple was. Why is that important? That's where Solomon was. Why is that important? That's where David was. Why is that important? That's where the presence of God was. And guess what? They built altars there. And this time frame, as you go through this, this book of Zephaniah, they weren't thinking about the day of the Lord. And so God is going to bring a prophet onto the scene. And some, yes, the day of the Lord, the judgment was going to take place and Israel was going to be punished. And some of us talking about the future judgment, the day of the Lord. And so you can go back and forth talking about the tribulation period, talking about all those different things. But I want you to hear me very clearly today. You will stand before Jesus one day. The day of the Lord Put your name there. And I don't know when it's going to be. It could be 45, 75. I don't know. You're going to meet Jesus face to face. That's a fact. And what's happening as you go, now flip back to the book of Zephaniah. As you go back to the book of Zephaniah, these people didn't care. These people said, you know what, God? As we, as we know you and as we hear about you and as we see the temple, we don't care. And God is now going to send a prophet to, to a wicked group of people that should have known all about this. It got so bad in their day that they were sacrificing their babies to their small g gods and calling that worship. That's where we are now. So can you imagine as you're the prophet Zephaniah and you know that all that's going on around you and God has given you a message. Hey, go and talk to these people. Go and remind them the day of the Lord is coming. Go encourage them about the possibility of repentance. Go speak to them. As I've been watching and thinking my way through the time that I, I feel like this Old Testament prophet. I feel like we're talking to a group of people that just do whatever they want to do, when they want to do it, and they don't care about God. I feel like we live in a day and age that you could have something in front of you, it's clearly written in your language, and you say, God, I don't want this. And by the way, God, I don't need this. And by the way, God, I'll be in church, but I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do. I believe that we're living in a day and age that you haven't thought about the day of the Lord a whole lot this week. And I haven't either. I think we're very comfortable. I don't think we've pushed ourselves this week saying, you know what, God? I will see you face to face one day. Hey, God, I need to get this right. And so this morning, as you, as you come to this book, as you look at this, you need to know that these people's hearts were cold to truth. Jesus wasn't the heart of their worship. Jesus wasn't what they were going to be. You're the only one that will satisfy. No, they were going to these false, they believed that they could sacrifice their children and God would be pleased. How far gone is that? Around the temple where the glory of God reigned. Around the place where Solomon, this wisest man on earth, said, Hey, here he is. Here's God. Worship him. Now, their hearts grew cold. And over time, they allowed it to go so far that they would sacrifice babies. 
call it worship. And so this morning, as, as these people, if you ever got into the naughty chair because you were living in rebellion, you need to see that these people have in front of them truth, but they believe the lies of the world. It should be flip-flopped. They don't hunger for the truth. They hunger for themselves. Hey, I want to do what makes me happy. I want to do what makes me feel good. Tell me what that is. And then I'll be okay. As Pastor Andy was talking this morning, we were praying this morning, it's like the church in America has a form of godliness, deny its power. There is no relationship with Jesus anymore. And so this morning, I'm going to list off some things very briefly. I'm not going to tell you how many there are. Because then you will start counting and see how soon I'll be finished with my list. So I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to take you through the book of Zephaniah. And what I'm really going to show, you get a chance to see, hopefully you'll see the heart of the Jewish people. In Jerusalem, in Judea, around the temple. And they're saying to God, God, we don't want you anymore. And guess what? God's going to say to them, fine, here comes the consequences. Because God is a jealous God. He's just not going to let you walk around and be all, life be all about you. He'll come with a two-by-four if he needs to and say, hey, hold on a second. Come back this way. He'll send something in your life that will bring you to your knees so you'll say, okay, I understand. You're still God. The first one, if you look through the book of Zephaniah, is idolatry. Go to, to chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I will stretch out my hand against Judah. And against all who live in Jerusalem, I will cut off from this place every remnant of Baal and the names of the pagans and the idolatrous priests. You want to put somebody in place of me and worship that as God? Fine. I'm going to wipe it out. I will destroy it all. So a word to you. If you put a small g God in God's place, guess what? He'll wipe it out. He will give you the opportunity to follow another God. Look what else happens here. The intimacy with God is gone. Check out in verse um, 6. Chapter 1 and verse 6. Those who turn back from following the Lord and neither seek the Lord nor inquire of Him. They don't pray anymore. They're not saying, God, I need you. I think Daniel Henderson puts it this way. Prayerlessness is direct rebellion or you're saying, God, I don't need you anymore. Prayerlessness. It's pride. God, I don't need you. I'm not asking for help. Did we wake up this morning and say, you know what, God? I'm desperate without you. I can't do this. God, I have no hope but in you. Oh, I know the world's going to offer me a lot of things. But they're not going to satisfy me. Look at verse 8. On the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all those who clad in foreign clothes. Judah looks like the world. They dress like the world. Act like the world. It's funny, and I was sharing in the first hour, and, and I realized that we live in a society that, you know, what you wear gives you value. So you might go and buy, you know, a Tommy Hilfiger shirt or a Nike shirt or an Adidas shirt or whatever, but they're all made where? 
Bangladesh, China, Indonesia. So basically, you're wearing a Walmart shirt. You're going to go to Gap and spend extra money for Gap, but you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to pay the money, and basically Gap went to the same place that Walmart went, and the same place that Kmart went, and the same place that Target went, and said, by the way, would you make me this shirt and just put this little Gap emblem on it? Because people are dumb enough in America to spend another $50 for a shirt because they want to look like the world. It's fascinating. Judah did it. They worshiped the things of the world. Look what else. Go to verse 9. On the day I'll punish you, all the avoid stepping on the thresholds that will fill their temple of their gods and violence and deceit. They basically, if you can cross-reference that if you want to, in my Bible you have a cross-reference to 1 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 5. The Philistines will not tread on the threshold. And so now the Judah... The people of Jerusalem, the people who knew God would say, you know what, we're going to buy into a superstition of paganism. We won't step on the threshold. It goes a little bit farther as you go on, as you go to verse 12. It says, at this time I will search Jerusalem with the lamps and punish those who are in complacency, who, who are like wine left on the dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. So they came, basically came to the thought process there would be no judgment. No concern for judgment. No, no responsibility for their actions. No thought process that I'll ever stand before Jesus one day. Or God, or that God has expectations of me. This, and see, you know what's interesting? They knew the truth. Oh, they didn't have a Bible and a nice little bound thing, but they knew the law. And their children memorized the law. And they're saying, you know what, God, I don't care what the law is. I don't care if you remind me of the law that I'm going to stand before you. God, I'm living for me. There's no way, God, you're going to hold me accountable for my actions. So enjoy life. I want you to go over to, verse, to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says, woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. So they, they, were, op- they, they were oppressing. They were encouraging people. Uh, to, to be rebellious and defile. Pass that on. If you go on to the next one, uh, it's in verse um, 2. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. I don't need you, God. The end of verse 2 basically says they don't trust God. You go to, to verse 3, and it says this. Here officials are roaring lions. Her rulers are every are evening wolves who leave nothing for the morning. They're living for the moment. And at the end of that, if you the last one that I want to put on the list is reckless spiritual leadership. Looking and I won't read all this, but pick it up in verse four. Her prophets are arrogant, their teachers, they're treacherous men, her priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law of the, the Lord within. Within her is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning his dispenses is injustice. And every new day he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. There is no shame in living in sin. Now as you look, as you just you know, go through these. By the way, if you wanted to know and you're counting, it's ten. But if you think about this, 
church people in the time of Zephaniah, their hearts were filled with this. Idolatry, no personal relationship with God. They weren't praying. They looked like the world. They, were, they had superstition. They had no concern for judgment. They were oppressors. They didn't need God. They didn't trust God. They were just living for the moment, and there was reckless spiritual leadership. There was no hunger for the Word of God. Now, I realize that Zeph and I had no idea about the United States of America. But I don't know if you can define us any better than these ten ways. Now, I don't know about you, but that's scary. Because when God said this to Zephaniah, then later came along the Babylonians and they put the whoop down on Judah. And you can believe whatever you want to believe, but there will be a day. And so as you think about it, to me, this is just a wake-up call. It's an opportunity for us to evaluate. Hey, God, is there any idolatry in my life? Hey, God, is it, is it about me and, the, and looking like the world? And I was telling first hour, we, um, Seth has been part of the fishing in different tournaments. And so he said to me the other day, he said, hey, we're going to fish this place in Camp Mac on Saturday. Do you want to go? I said, hey, if I can go and be with you, I'm in. Let's go. So we went fishing. And so there's a big fishing tournament going on. And, you know, I'm just, I'm clueless. I'm just hanging out with him. I don't know. I'm just doing what you go or I go. I'm going. So we pull into this place and we go out there. I mean, and there's, it's money everywhere. I mean, the biggest Ford pickup trucks you've ever seen. The biggest bass boat. Their boat trailers were worth, than my van, worth more than my van. They had wheels on them. I'm thinking this place is oozing with money. I mean, these people, they're just dumb wealthy. Just dumb. I mean, boats, $70,000 boats. And so here I am, you know, rolling in my minivan. woo here's me. My boat clanging, banging, or whatever I'm pulling. I'll, I can back up a trailer, put that thing in the water. So I'm just with my boy. I'm thinking, you know what? These people, I wonder if they can even fish. I mean, seriously, you got all this money, can you fish? I mean, I, I'll admit it, I can't fish. I'll just be my boy. It, if you want me to fish tournament, don't pick me because I'm not going to catch the fish. Pick him, pick somebody else, but don't pick me. I'll have a good time. I'll enjoy the lily pads and, and the bushes and everything caught underneath. Hey, I got it, man. I can do all that part easy. I'm the best. But catch a fish? No. So I'm just out, you know, messing around, and he's, you know, he's, thinking maybe I'll fish here and go there. So I just throw my thing, and I miss one. I'm like, oh, you know, I want to catch fish. You know, we got a rule in the boat. You can't outfish him. So, uh, and I know I'm not going to outfish him. He's going to catch more fish than me. There's just no doubt about it. So I just throw again, you know, and we're all of a sudden, boom, boom. I'm like, what the world? Poof. So I, I, I already missed the fish. So I'm reeling for everything. I, I ripped as hard as I could rip. He's like, you need to calm down. I'm like, what do you mean? I want this fish in the boat. Tell me to calm down. He said, you're going to lose the fish. I don't care. It ain't getting away. I'm going to do it. I'm horsing this thing. He says, would you relax? This is a big fish. I'm like, really? <laughs> so now I'm relaxed, man. I'm just working that thing. Just, you know, and I've, I'm well instructed. Just get it over to the boat and I'll do the rest. No problem, buddy. I'll get it to the boat. So we, we get, he nets it. We, it's probably the biggest fish I've ever caught in my life. You know, and so we're taking pictures, and I'm, you know, like, man, this baby's going home. I'm going to eat this thing. He's like, you're not going to eat that. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not going to take this home and eat it? He said, Dad, you've got to put it back in the lake. I'm going to catch it next time. I'm like, no. 
you know, I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, I, there's this rebellion inside of me thinking, no way, buddy, I'm taking this fish home. How often do I get to bring home fish that's bigger than your fish? It's coming home. Mom needs to know I can catch a fish. So to save you the whole moral of the story, I left the fish there. I did not bring it home. He caught more fish than I did, which I knew that was going to happen. But um, so, so I'm telling you all that because I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to look like the world. I don't need all that stuff. Just give me my little frog or a fluke and I'll go fishing. I don't need a $100,000 boat. I don't want to look like the world. Because I know the majority of the people rode in that $75,000 truck, that $75,000 boat, they don't have the one that can satisfy. But I do. And so this morning, as you go back to, to Zephaniah chapter 2, I think this needs to be our response this morning. Hey, here, here's all the information. But here should be our response. Go to Zephaniah chapter 2. Pick it up in verse 1. Gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives, and that day sweeps off like a, ch- like a chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. What do you need to do? Seek the Lord. Humble yourself. You do what he commands. Pretty simple, right? Hey, those of you that are, that are living for the idols and li- don't have a relationship with Jesus, hey, those are, these are, this is just an opportunity for the prophet to say to you, hey, humble yourself. Know that the God that controls creation, the God of the universe, is saying to you, live a life of obedience. It's not rocket science. When he says something to you, obey him. Do what he commands. And that's interesting. The prophet could have put a lot of different things there, but he says, do what he commands. Obedience. We live in a nation that has knowledge, but we are dumb. I mean, dumb. I love to go to the high school. And about once a year, they let us talk to the um, marriage and families topic. We get to go in and just talk to a class, a couple classes during the day. And so there's this whole thing going on in the high school. It's just a whole bunch of talk. And so I, I talk about relationships. I love talking about relationships. So I said to the class, Hey, when, when, when so-and-so breaks up and they've done things they shouldn't be doing, do they walk down the hallway and, high, hallway and high-five each other as they go past? No, because they're embarrassed. They, if they see so-and-so coming, they go down a different hallway. But yet the high school kids have no comprehension. I mean, how dumb is that? I remember them talking about friends and they have these benefits. Oh, you be my friend and there's benefits for you being my friend. That's what's being promoted in high school and relationships. And you can have other friends and they have other benefits, but we, we have a friend benefit relationship. But this other one, we have another friend with benefit relationship. And then another one, a friend with benefit relationship. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty selfish. I mean, I'm not sharing. 
It ain't happening. You better kill me or be bigger than me because I'll take you out if you mess with her. Whatever, whatever happens, it's going. I'm on. I'm in it. I'll die trying. I might be short, but I'm feisty. <laughs> I got bigger with me. I'll bring Junior. Come on, let's go, big guy. So we have knowledge, right? We have knowledge. We know in our heart what's right and wrong. We do. I believe we do know that. Because what happens? You watch a kid that makes a mistake on a baseball field, basketball field, band area, and the teacher, they already know they did it wrong. They already know in their soul they messed up. They don't go to the teacher and say, yeah, I really messed this up. This is so exciting. They put their head down and say, yep, I was wrong. And so what we know, family, obey. That's what Zephaniah is telling you. Because the day of the Lord's coming. The day that you're going to see him face to face is coming. So what he says, obey him. So there isn't. So you aren't turned and looking away. So you can fall on your face and say, yeah, dad, I obey. Oh, yeah, nobody in this room is perfect, okay? But why don't we be a group of people that be willing to say that we're wrong? Why don't we be a group of people that say, you know what, Dad, I'm sorry. When was the last time you told God you were sorry? When was the last time you told your spouse that you were sorry? And so as you, as you look at this prophet's message, he's saying to them, get rid of your idols. Develop that relationship with God. Change what you wear on the outside. Who cares if I got a Walmart t-shirt on? I don't care. But you know what's new in town, I heard? Florida Heritage has a new hat. You know what's going to happen? There's going to be one in our house. It won't be mine. But we'll have one. You know what's so cool to watch? When we put something on, we walk out like, we, we got this going. I got my Florida Heritage hat. <clears throat> I'm going out on the town today. I got my Florida Heritage hat. Are those y'all that got your Costa sunglasses or your Oakleys, whatever y'all wear? You put them on, you're like, you bought something from China. <laughs> you paid 250 bucks for it, too. And you're dumb. But boy, I look good. I got this right, right? No, it's our heart. You can't put nothing on here to make you better. All you can do is say, here I am, Jesus. That's all I got. You're the only one that's going to satisfy me. You're the only one that gives me value because you made me. Get rid of superstitions. You will be judged. Stop passing on to the next generation a sinful lifestyle. Don't pass it on. Listen to his voice. Trust him. Stop living for the moment. People are watching. Seek righteousness and humility. You'll be weird in America. I realize that. If you live for righteousness and humility, people are going to look at you like, what is wrong with you? But that's why the prophet said, Why do I want to live that way? Because one day I get to look my dad in the face 
with all my fears and all my failures and all my inadequacies and all my messed up. My dad would step in and say, because of Jesus, here we go. I don't know what's going on in your life. I know there's a lot of temptations. But I want to remind you of something. The days will be coming. I don't know when. When you'll be held accountable for this book. And not what, you're not going to have to go over and say, well, yeah, that preacher told us about Zephaniah and the day of the Lord. And yeah, so I'm going to report that back to you, Father. And I really, you know, like, no. You'll be held accountable if you were willing to be obedient to this book. Not on what you know of it, but of what you submit. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for allowing us to gather as a family around one book, the Word of God. Your word to us. Thank you for allowing us to look at what was going on in Judah, in Jerusalem. Father, thank you for being honest with us and showing us their hearts. But now, Father, show us our hearts honestly before you. It will be very important for you today as you carry on with your day. And I can't, you know, force this or control this or do it, but I'll, I'll just encourage you. My encourage you, encouragement to you is to let the Lord look at your heart. And don't run from Him. Run to Him. You're the only one that can give Him permission. He's the only one that can change you from the inside. So, Dad, as you see our hearts this morning, may we be sons and daughters that are willing to give you permission to work on us from the inside. So that the day that we do meet you face to face, we can fall at your feet and worship and not fall on your, at our feet, fall on our knees in embarrassment. So, Dad, you're the only one that can do this. So change us. In your name I pray. Amen.